Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. It is a pleasure to introduce Renee Bartlett to the July edition of One Move at a Time. Renee lives in Madison, Alabama, where she is the president of the Madison School Board, one of the top performing school systems in the state of Alabama. She has been on the school board since 2011. Renee earned a Juris Doctor degree from the University of Arkansas School of Law, where she was a member of the Arkansas Law Review and a member of the National Moot Court team. Upon graduating from law school, she clerked for the Honorable Henry A. Politz, Chief Judge of the United States Court of Appeals, for the Fifth Circuit. Renee graduated with high honors from the University of Central Arkansas, earning a Bachelor of Science degree with a double major in Mathematics and Political Science. She is the Executive Director of the Madison City Chess League, a 501c3 nonprofit organization promoting chess education for students in Madison and the surrounding area that teaches kids life skills through chess. It was founded in 2013 with only 14 kids. Welcome to One Move at a Time, Renee. Thanks for having me. Well, glad to have you. Tell us what your introduction to chess was. Well, I was like a lot of parents who just had a kid come home one day and say they wanted to join the chess club. And so my son uh, developed an interest in elementary school. And because I was in the school volunteering, a PTA officer asked me if I'd like to help the uh, chess sponsor, who is a gifted teacher at my son's elementary school. And so I said, sure. And I just started volunteering there, just helping her set up the classroom for uh, chess club meetings. And that's how I got started. What year was that? Uh, That must have been in the 2000. 12, 13 time frame. You were already on the school board at that time because I'm showing that you started on two, in 2011. Uh, that's correct. I had been volunteering in the schools in different capacities uh, when my son was young, but then I got on the school board in 2011. So were the wheels already turning in your head at that early stage of, oh, how can we get chess into the Madison City Schools? Uh, no, not, not just quite then because I had just started learning uh, what the power of chess was by seeing uh, how much it benefited my own son and the kids in the uh, chess club at the school. And so we didn't really even start competing and going to tournaments until about that 2013 time frame. And that's when I had my first aha moment by attending my first national tournament, the Super Nationals Five. And so that was quite an introduction to chess on the grandest scale here in the United States. And uh, and it was a, an awakening in terms of uh, how large and how popular and how beneficial uh, this game is to kids all across the country. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that 
you started the league with 14 kids. What are the numbers you're up to now? Oh, well, um, now when I first started, this was just me setting up chess sets once a week. So my first meeting, correct, had 14 kids show up across uh, the city. And then in that was in the summer of 2013. And then in about um, January of 2014, we had to move to the YMCA because we needed bigger space. So we had about 50 kids showing up on Monday nights playing chess and we were running out of parking space. And so we continued to move. And now we're at the uh, Madison Library. And so the membership in terms of who attends, it's very fluid. So on any given Monday night, we might have 30, 40 kids showing up to play, um, depending on their schedules or what's going on at school. But in setting up the uh, organization, the Madison City Chess League, I have probably around 175 paid members um, in the organization. And then we have about 5,000 kids playing chess in Madison um, just through the school system. Is this curriculum based or is it an after school program? Well, it started out just as an after school program. I piloted with the Rainbow Chess team that I was coaching. Um, a chess kid account for all of the students on the team. And that was in the summer um, of 2013. And I saw the benefits that the kids had. And a lot of the things that you do online, I, I saw us doing that in education. There were supplemental things we would do to support what we were teaching in school. So it made sense to do it for chess. So then I'm on the school board I definitely see the educational values of chess, and I convinced the superintendent and the board to invest in uh, providing a chess kit account for every elementary student in the city of Madison, whether they were competing or not, just for the educational value. And so we subscribed and, and did a contract with Chess Kid to provide every elementary student access to that, as well as we added... Um, middle school chess elective classes the following year. And so those students who are enrolled in either an introduction to chess class or a competition chess class also have access to a free chess kit account through the school system. And um, so it happens during the day and some of our teachers use it in various ways. Some of them use it as a reward. They'll tell me that their kids just are asking all the time, can I get on Chess Kid? Well, they'll tell them, meet your reading goal or your math goal or whatever goals and things they have to do. And then they'll let them online during the day. So how tough a sell was it to uh, get the funding to buy the uh, Chess Kid account for every student? Um, you know, it really wasn't that tough of a sell in Madison because Madison um, is known for having... Uh, high expectations. Their parents really support this type of activity. They understand the value of what it uh, teaches kids. And so our parents were very supportive. Our board uh, is also uh, very supportive of additional programs that just help to supplement and help our kids excel. You mentioned earlier about how you saw the power of chess. How would you describe that power? Well, you know, chess um, is for everyone. It does not discriminate. Um, I see kids with all types of backgrounds and all types of interests drawn to this game for different reasons. And one of the things that I have found to be so remarkable about the kids who I get to coach on chess team is that they may or may not excel at a certain subject. Uh, they're not all mathematicians. They're not all strong at different academic pursuits. 
But when they see what they can do with chess, they gain confidence and they realize, hey, if I can do this, I can do this math problem or I can pass this test. And so there are a lot of kids who really excel at this, who may not even consider themselves to be gifted, but I can see their giftedness when they play. And then they do have the confidence and and the self-esteem is built for them to succeed in other avenues as well. And to that point, uh, one of your particular innovations has been the way you've gone about promoting girls in chess. Uh, It's been a very important program to you to talk about what you've done and what may be being done differently in Madison for promoting girls in chess than in other parts of the country. Well, the first time that I had noticed there was something different about Madison was when I took my first uh, chess team from Rainbow Elementary to a fall state chess championship. This is the adult championship, but they have a side scholastic event. So I brought a team and we competed, uh, actually won in the elementary age division. And there was a mother from Georgia who came up to me and said, you have a lot of girls playing chess. And that was my first time to take a team to the adult state championship. And I hadn't noticed. I looked around and then I realized she woke me up and said, wow, you're doing something special. And I hadn't even realized I had. And I looked at my team. I brought eight kids from Rainbow and five of them were girls. And that didn't strike me as unusual at all until I started looking around and realizing, oh, there aren't that many girls on the other teams playing. Um, So then I had to start thinking about what was it that we were doing at Rainbow Elementary and in Madison that was a little bit different. And one of the things I noticed early on was when I would um, work with our chess teams, I thought it was equally important to build camaraderie and a sense of team. So we did a lot of social events. It might be a back-to-school swim party or a Christmas bowling party or just an after-school party to celebrate. But those social connections were really important. When I go to tournaments and I ask my girls, why do you play and compete at chess tournaments? They answer, to hang out with my friends. When I ask our boys, they answer, Um, things about the competitive element of the game. They'll say, I like to win. I like to bring home trophies or medals. But for the girls, it's social. So what I was doing just naturally was something that was really benefiting um, our girls. And then when I looked around and realized, okay, this is not common and everyone doesn't have as many girls playing chess, I realized I needed to be even more intentional about it to keep it going because I remembered reading... um, reports about membership in the USCF and the drop-off, especially once kids enter middle school. That's across the board, but especially for girls. So I wanted to start doing things that could help um, girls continue to stick with chess, even though I was successful in getting them to get started in elementary school. So by forming uh, the nonprofit organization, I was then able to receive donations. And one of the things I wanted to do was um, solicit contributions to send girls to chess camps. See, in Alabama, we don't have any grandmasters. Um, and so we don't have that high level of chess instruction going on in our state. And so I needed to send them to another camp so they could receive that kind of instruction. So uh, for the last three years, we've been sending girls to the Mid-South Chess Camp in Memphis And we've gotten support locally to send uh, those girls on a scholarship. 
so they can uh, enhance their knowledge and skill level and stick with it and then also mentor younger girls when they come back. Am I, am I correct that the Madison area of Alabama is one of the uh, wealthier areas of Alabama? You're, you're relatively close to the U.S. Space Center, is that correct? Uh, yes, we're a suburb of Huntsville in North Alabama, and uh, Madison is prosperous uh, in the economic development that we're seeing in North Alabama. But you can have economic prosperity and not necessarily have funding in schools. Um, and what's surprising about Madison, Alabama, is uh, when you look at our state ranking for uh, school and school funding, you'll find that we're actually below the state average uh, in the funding that we actually receive for schools. So we do more with less. One of the things you mentioned that you did was start the uh, 501c3 nonprofit, and that's been a recurring theme on this show, but we've never really discussed what's involved in becoming a nonprofit. So this might be a good time for, for people that are trying to get programs off the ground. Can you explain really what, what the legal definition of a nonprofit is and what are some of the hoops you have to go through to establish one? Sure. So the, the designation of being a 501c3, it's a charitable organization that the IRS recognizes and can give you that status so that you will be tax exempt. And that means you don't file um, income tax and you can receive uh, donations uh, from uh, other foundations or other individuals. And those donations can also be tax exempt because you're supporting a charitable uh, institution. And early on, we were we were fine just doing these chess club meetings with donated chess sets and people would donate to school chess clubs and, and that would be an avenue to help your individual school. But to help uh, the city on a larger scale, I wanted to help every elementary school and both middle and both high schools to grow their chess programs. And I needed to, I quickly realized I needed to have an organizational scheme where I could do that and leverage resources through donations and to solicit those charitable donations. Now, every state has different requirements in terms of what their entities need to do to be recognized in Alabama. Um, any type of organization has to have um, a name identified with their Secretary of State's office. And most of the forms that you need, uh, anyone can find online through a nonprofit um, association in Alabama. It's the Alabama Association of Nonprofits. And you can go on a website and they'll give you a lot of forms to walk you through uh, the the steps you need to take. But basically, you need your organization identified. You need to set up a bank account, a separate bank account, so you can get your employer identification number. And then you apply with the IRS, and you can expedite that application or wait. Uh, there's a little bit of a higher fee uh, if you expedite. And then you will be issued a determination letter from the IRS uh, to give you your nonprofit status. And then there are certain requirements that you have in terms of good governance. Um, you can set up your nonprofit in basically one of two ways. You can form a corporation, which is what I did, uh, with a board of directors, um, or you can set up something more like a foundation uh, and a trust. And so that's more closely controlled. Um, sometimes if you have a major donor who wants to keep control of uh, what's happening 
with the funds, you might choose that trust route. Uh, I prefer the corporate route, and I like um, the governance model of the corporate route. So we formed a corporation, and you have to do that under your state law. And so we formed, um, we're um, incorporated, So, but I don't put that in the title, but the Madison City Chess League is an incorporated organization that has been granted its IRS uh, 501c3 status. Now, you made the process seem relatively simple and logical, but I, I'm hearing that through the prism of your JD degree. Okay. <laughs> would, it be, would it be just as simple, do you think, for someone like me who, had a, who has a liberal arts degree? Uh, yes. I think that if you look at your nonprofit association's guidelines, they really do help walk through people who are non-lawyers in terms of the forms you need to file. But there are some things you need to think about if you form a board like I did. For example, when I looked at state associations, what I noticed in my own state association, the Alabama Chess Federation, is that they generally are formed by um, mostly gentlemen who play chess. And then they volunteer and they form a board and they run the organization. And I had a background that um, involved me in other nonprofit organizations like the Junior League. That was something that I, where I had received a lot of training about what nonprofit governance looked like. And when I was forming my board, um, because you first have to have a charter board when you file your um, papers with the IRS, you have to have the names and addresses of a charter board. I was looking for a diversity of talent, not simply chess players. Um, and so we did have a very seasoned uh, senior tournament director on the board, but we also had um, an accountant, a CPA. We had someone who um, was very savvy with um, the internet and who could build our website for us. We had another uh, person who was an educator. And having an educator was really important because of the educational mission of the organization. So I I very intentionally um, selected people to help form that charter board. And then our bylaws outline um, how you do elections every year and we've rotated members onto the board but have always tried to keep a very diverse talent set um, on our board to help our organization thrive. I'm also wondering, uh, let's say you're starting an organization that that you feel should be a 501c3. Is there any advantage to starting that process when you're small or waiting till you're larger, like maybe have hundreds or thousands of members? Uh, I, I definitely think you can do it when you're small and it would benefit you to let the organization grow organically uh, while you can still get your feet under you and understand what you want to do. Um, so I don't think it matters on the size. You can be small, you can be large, uh, you can do your memberships in different ways. Some people um, you charge, some organizations will charge a certain fee. And that can help you get some of your just basic administrative costs paid for by having a membership fee. And that can be helpful too. Well, let's get back to some of the good works the Madison City Chess League is doing. Uh, One of the initiatives that I found intriguing is the service projects that the high school chess clubs do, uh, where where they're giving something back to the community or the younger chess clubs. Uh, Speak a bit about that. I am so excited about that. It has taken us, uh, now we're in our sixth year, but it it took us about five years to get some of the kids who first started um, in elementary school, now they're in high school, 
and to give them an opportunity to have meaningful volunteer uh, hours uh, and something to show that they have done in the community as they're uh, applying for college and looking beyond uh, high school. Well, we um, associated the Madison City Chess League associated with both of our high school chess clubs and created service organizations. So they're separate from the chess teams that compete. And so kids who may not uh, want to continue to compete at a high level, they still might want to give back. And so we have some members who are in both, but some who choose chess club versus chess team. So these kids uh, come into our elementary schools and they'll volunteer after school. Uh, some of them will uh, coach at tournaments. At tournaments, it's so important to have game analysis after one of the kids comes out of a game. And you have some very skilled players who the little kids look up to. They love seeing our high school players and hanging out with them. And they see them compete, so they know they, they understand what they're going through. And so sometimes uh, an older kid is more valuable than an adult in terms of giving advice. Uh, kids will listen to them, but and our older students are really invested in their schools. They'll start off, this year was the first year we launched this, and they're all coming back. And we're adding more to the group uh, who want to volunteer and commit to coaching uh, an elementary school for the entire school year. And that's a, a real investment. This isn't just a a once-in-a-year activity. This is something where they can build and show commitment. And the kinds of things I think colleges would be looking for when they're evaluating volunteer activities. Uh, have you committed to doing something and stuck with it for a number of years? I think it's very impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's the kind of thing that's perfect for college applications as well, right? Absolutely. And these students also help us fill a need. I don't know if You've heard this in other communities, but sometimes in scholastic tournaments, it's hard to find enough tournament directors uh, to work the tournament because a lot of the coaches want to be working with their kids. And so they feel torn uh, with an association that needs tournament directors. So we also set up a junior tournament director program where we have high school students train with a USCF certified tournament director. Uh, in a number of tournaments and then they've competed in a number of tournaments themselves and they fill out the application and get their club tournament director certification and then they have a marketable skill and they can actually earn money by being a paid tournament director while they're in high school. This is our 80th anniversary year at U.S. Chess and I'm asking this question of all my guests. So in this 80th anniversary year, what has U.S. Chess meant to you? Oh my goodness. I have to tell you that um, there's nothing like going to a USCF national tournament. I, I tell all of my kids, um, this is where you see it all come together. And um, I am I'm so thankful for that first experience that I had where I could see uh, from a small state association to see how a tournament is supposed to run, how people are supposed to behave, um, starting a tournament on time, doing the things that uh, that they do and allowing kids, little kindergartners, can you imagine? They never get to represent their schools in anything, but they do at a national tournament. And so they get to meet other kids from across the country. And that kind of ambassadorship as they as these kids represent their states and their hometowns, it is such a fabulous organization. And they teach kids early on 
these skills, these life skills that will pay huge dividends later on in life. So, you know, that's an intriguing answer because I never considered that kindergarten angle, that kindergartners never get to represent their um, their schools. That's that's an interesting point. Yeah, they feel so proud to wear their chess team shirts. And really, after they've been to a national tournament, there is nothing that can intimidate them. And I tell my parents when I, I do a lot of information sessions with parents as they're entering uh, the chess arena and it's such... Uh, a different world. It has its own language and its own cadence. And there's so many things that, that you're just exposed to and you just can't believe it's out there, this network of chess players. But I tell all of them, it's hard for you to imagine this now, but in a few years, your kids are going to be in high school and the most consequential exam they will ever take is the ACT or the SAT. It determines what schools you get into, what scholarships you get, And those tests are tests of endurance as much as they are a test of knowledge. And what other activity does a little kid get to participate in to build their mental endurance like a national chess tournament where you're sitting for three and four hours at a time, multiple times a day? Um, You have to work out your mind just like you work out your body in getting it strong. And these kids will be conditioned to take on some of the biggest challenges in life that they will ever face by getting to participate in something that they think is fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I often joke that I don't play much tournament chess anymore because when I'm playing a classic time control game, I feel like I'm taking my SATs all over again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the purposes of this podcast is to give people ideas to get uh, programs going in their own communities. If someone is listening and they're a parent and they're their school doesn't have chess, a chess program, and they don't happen to be on the school board like you, what would you say are the initial steps they should take to get chess into their school system? Um, I, I get this question a lot, or I'll get the question like, how, how can we have a team like your team? And the first thing I, I say to parents is, what are you willing to do to invest in the time? Because I was just like you. Um, I was a parent just out there helping at my school and working with your teachers and your principal at your school. You can start on that that level, that scale and show them that you're willing to meet them halfway. If you say, hey, I'll volunteer, I'll stay after school or I'll find a coach for you and I'll help you. Um, build a chess team. If you're willing to meet them halfway, I think administrators and teachers in most schools are very uh, much in favor of any program that's going to help their kids excel. Renee, there's been a lot of great information shared here. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on One Move at a Time. Thanks so much. And good luck in the future. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the Join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the Donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.